There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. So if you guys are there with me, uh, we're doing Genesis chapter 8, verses um, 15 to 19. Uh, but actually turn to Genesis chapter 8, sorry, Genesis chapter 9, verse 8 right now. So again, everyone who's there with me, we're going to be uh, going to Genesis 8, 15, 9, 17. But turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 8. And it reads, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. We're going to pray. God, I just pray for this morning, and and Lord, even though we may be meeting in unconventional ways, God, thank you that you're uh, blessed with this uh, technology that would allow us to still gather, Lord, as you have called us to do, and for those who are either watching through a stream or interacting with the room, Lord, Lord, I do pray that right now that you would be amongst your church. It's not a building, but it's your bride, it's your people. And even now, as as the two or three are gathered either uh, in virtual space or even in their homes, God, Lord, by your word, would we hear your voice, experience your presence, Lord, ultimately become more like you so that we can be more like you to a world that especially now desperately needs to know you. In your son's name, amen. So guys, as we uh, were last in the book of Genesis, we looked at the ark and the flood. And we saw that there are actually over 270 ancient world flood, flood accounts. And, and that's from all over the world. That's from, from Babylon to, to Egypt, to uh, Persia, Greenland, Northern America. And what we saw within that is e- even though there's these widespread uh, accounts is that 95%, when you take that, that large number of these accounts, 95% uh, speak of it as a, a global flood. About 85% speak of a favored family. And that many times that's even within that favored family, about eight people, as we see here in Genesis. 
that 66% are warned that the flood was a result of, of wickedness of man. And that even within that many times, you see the, the stories of giants being part of that. 70%, and this, is, this would kind of make sense, I don't know what the other 30% necessarily teach, but 70% teach that it was some boat that was used to save this family. And that even we see this imagery of the dove and the raven of the Genesis account, even throughout all these other uh, world mythos. And it's because actually, and, and I bring this up because the skeptics of the Genesis flood account want to kind of categorize it. It's, it's just another ancient world story. But as we really saw last time when we went through the book of Genesis, is this couldn't be further from the truth. And that true, the biblical flood account shares many similarities with other ancient mythologies. And that we have to ask ourselves that that's true, is that we, we then have to try and rationalize something. Is it more likely that throughout the world, these various peoples and various regions all came up with a story so incredibly similar? Or as the Bible teaches, is it more likely that the conglomerate and the majority of the world's population were at one time all in one place, where they all experienced this, this global flood, or that this, this flood even was on such a global scale that we understand that these people all experience such a drastic event that it is told about throughout all of the world. The other thing that, again, I, I would want to bring up as we look at these different counterfeit mythos is the fact that we kind of mentioned this last time is that if I was to say that there was no such thing as a hundred dollar bill, because there's many counterfeits out there, that there are so sorts of counterfeits, people pass off fake money, that actually the opposite is quite true that we see that the, the more counterfeits actually would prove to us that there is such a thing as something like a hundred dollar bill. So counterfeit, something being a counterfeit truth doesn't actually prove non-truth. In fact, it's quite the opposite that all of these details would point to a truth. And that's ironically what's against the skeptic. It's unlike the counterfeit mythos of the world. The biblical account gives us precise schematics of a floating barge, that intellectual honesty leads to a clear logical explanation of the global flood and how it was survived. And now with all of that, that, that was really clearly seen throughout Genesis and, and as we really stopped to think about it, we, we also saw that that is actually not the biblical flood account's greatest distinction from the other world mythos. The biblical flood is a reminder of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Again, not in any coincidence that the ark containing Noah, the man whose name means rest, would become a symbol of new life at the same day that we would celebrate the empty tomb that we're about to celebrate coming up as the proof and symbol of the new life that we have in Christ. First Peter chapter three, verse 18 tells us, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust that he might bring to us God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison 
who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of filth from the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. See, the flood is to the world what baptism is to the believer. A consistent, faithful message that God saves. And it's with that now, turn to Genesis chapter 8, verse 15, as we continue on through our study. And it says, when God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark one after another. And as they come out of the ark again, imagine what they would be stepping out onto on a mountaintop as they descend down. This is a whole new world. Everything has changed. Verse 20 tells us, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Again, after a year of enduring, God only knows what on this barge, in this box of an ark. Again, just imagine just what the smells would have been like. The first thing Noah does after going through what would be undeniable hardship just un, un, un understanding, a lack of understanding of, of questioning, God, what is going to happen? I've trusted you. The chaos surrounds me. He steps out into the unknown. And the first thing he does after incredible hardship of being on that ark over a year is praise. He praises God saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this new world. Thank you for loving me and for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for keeping your promises. It says there in verse 21 that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And I, I want us to catch that. God says that he, he is not going to send a flood as he has, as I have done, because the truth is, we know by second Peter that this world will be destroyed again. But unlike with water before, this next will be by fire. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10 through 15 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth 
in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in peace, by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Guys, we're told that in the, in the days of Noah, it was described in a way that we understand is very much like our current world right now. And that it was at, at this moment where God says, I, I, I will not tolerate the injustice and the evil heart that's in man and, and judgment came. But in the same way, God says that he is faithful to those who believe. That by simple faith through that one doorway, just as in the ark, as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus saying himself to his, his believers, I, I am the doorway. I am the door. You have to come in through me. But by that simple faith, you are saved. And that we understand that as this world is coming to face a melting away. The scripture also says that, that he holds all things in his hands. There's coming the time that by his voice, he's just going to let things go. And that strong force that holds every atom together will be loosened. And when we understand, when we start thinking about, again, what, it, what an atom bomb and just how that works and how when that atom is divided, just the intense heat and, and just the immense explosion that will happen, that that's what's being described in Second Peter is what is coming. And it's in light of that, that we look to God's patience, his long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we ask ourselves, he says, in light of all that, what, what, manner of person ought we to be when moses stepped out of the ark and and he praised god with sacrifice and offering it says that the lord in a way that only we would understand by him describing it as a smell that the lord smelled a sweet aroma now again uh i, I love a good barbecue chicken beef pork i mean just a nice rack of ribs there's, there's nothing quite like some of these amazing smells but this isn't the savoring exactly he's talking about this isn't this isn't god who's who's hungry and is ready to eat but but only in a way for us to understand so for that person who's ever watched dad barbecuing or for the dad who's who's over that grill and you get just have that smell that moments or you know it can even you know i know that a lot of people right now stuck at home are doing baking uh you know which is amazing when you when you smell that that good smell and it just it, it just brings a joy for God to express to us what that praise was like, it was a sweet, savoring smell. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says, For we are to God a pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That we're called to, to be living sacrifice. And that God says that as a living sacrifice, sacrifice when you lay down your life to him in praise that he would receive all glory and honor from your life that god says the way he responds to that is the same way you respond to cookies coming out of the oven a rack of ribs on a grill just that sweet savoring aroma you know pastor jeff earlier was reading out of revelation chapter three in this church of of Laodicea, and it, and it got me thinking as I was listening to his teaching this morning, is that a big part of, of appetite comes from smell. It, it, it comes from smell. And, and what's interesting is that even if something might look good, 
um, might be pleasing to the eye that if, if someone wants to pull something out or, or almost the opposite, sometimes you can tell when something's been burnt. It's, there's almost this, this kind of gut turning thing that, that it just kind of makes the appetite go away. And in the same way, we're told that a life of, of praise devoted to Christ is a sweet smelling aroma. We're told that this lukewarm church in Laodicea, that God says, you're, you're lukewarm. I just want to vomit. And so if, if one side is true about how you can live your life of praise and sacrifice of worship to God, that it is a sweet swelling, smelling aroma. To think anything less, to go, well, okay, I may not be a sweet swell, smelling aroma. You know, I may not be uh, fervent and zealous for God, but I'm just kind of, eh. God says that, eh, it, it turns his stomach. It, it, it's, a, it's a putrid smell in his nose that just would, would make him. So if we can get the picture of what the sweet smelling aroma is for Christ in our lives, then to understand when he speaks of, of lukewarm being something that he has to vomit is, again, the very stink of our life that can come from being lukewarm. Verse 22, uh, Genesis says, as long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold, heat, summer, and winter day and night will never cease. Now, this is interesting because these are the first time in the Bible these words are, are used. This, again, leads us to understand that this, this world that Noah is stepping down into, this is something completely new, uh, topographically, geologically. It's just completely new. And now for the first time, the weather has changed in such a way that the world is now experiencing seasons in a way it really never did before. And I want to point this out real quick, because if you guys remember, when we were in Genesis uh, chapter 1, we understood that God made the stars and the sun and the moon. And he said, for, for signs and for seasons. And so you might be wondering, well, wait, if God in Genesis 1 said the stars and the sun and the moon were for seasons, you know, what's going on? How, how can this be new? And, and again, I just want to draw our attention to is that God put his plan into motion, knowing about the judgment that would come onto this earth. And he set the stars and the moon and the sun as a communication of the times and seasons, knowing full well that there was a coming judgment. Again, consistent with God is, is that we see that it says that before there's even such a thing of time, that Jesus was our sacrifice. That before the foundations of this world, that God had a plan to deal with our sin before he ever spoke the universe into existence and that God consistently with his, his divine foreknowledge does not know without acting. He set the stars and moon and sun in place, knowing of the coming chaos resulting in the change of seasons in the same way from eternity past that he knew about the chaos we would bring of our sin and that he would send his son to pay the price for our sins that we could never pay. With that, we move to Genesis chapter 9. And it says here that then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Now, again, all things being new and changing, you know, it's funny. 
uh, again, I, I've mentioned before, I, you watch different TV shows, you might hear people and they kind of try and say things mockingly, you know, well, how did they feed the lions? How could they have all those predators and prey together? You, you know, uh, if you guys were uh, watching or for those who joined in with our uh, Zoom Room Family Fellowship last, last night when we kind of, you know, we did a, a little pictogram or a Pictionary of Zootopia, right? And there's that whole, uh, you know, prey versus predator thing going on. So people try and take that thinking into the arc and go, come on, realistically, how? What I want you guys to just to begin to get as you go throughout scripture is, is that there are some things that we won't know, but not because God hasn't revealed stuff to us. It's, it's always going to be our lack of understanding. But even right here, we're understanding something new happens here in Genesis 9. That God put the fear of man and animals. That, that before we understand it is that as God had proclaimed in the garden, that there was to be eating of fruits and vegetables. And I'm not to say that, I mean, if, if God says man's heart was evil continually, that they weren't breaking that law. But God in that had had it, there was a, a natural law that God had put in place and something uniquely different happens here where now the animals will begin to have this fear of man. And so what, what we kind of can get from that is if you pull back, just go, there, there, there must have been just a subdued calmness and peace in the ark again, consistent is that God would not set up a place of salvation and it not be a place of peace. Verse three tells us everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants. Now I give you everything again for us meat lovers. Um, you know, I have honestly over the last week been living on steak and tri-tip that I cooked myself. It's been fantastic. I, I'm, I'm loving like every meal. and so thankful that, that God said that we're allowed to, to eat everything here he's telling but up until this point is that again god did not approve of man eating meat that's not to say that i mean if men are going to disobey and take from the fruit of the tree they're going to probably have killed animals at this point but this is god now declaring that i am approving of a non-strictly vegetarian diet and to that i say amen verse four but you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood still in it so God makes a stipulation. Hey, I'm going to let you eat everything, but I don't want you eating. And again, this isn't for those guys who didn't get questionable going, well, wait a second. Does that mean I, I have to always eat my steak medium? No, this is about talking about you're not to beat an animal over the head and with the lifeblood still in it, you're going to eat that or, or, you know, get weird and drain the blood and drink the blood. God's making it clear. So God's saying where I'm giving you meat to eat, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And you might ask yourself again, okay, well, well, why not? Is that just a, you know, a cultural thing? But actually in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 11, God gives us an answer for this. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the souls. So again, this is once again, many times people will look at God's restrictions as somehow being something that is, is less than, or that, that God you know, is, is, is trying to make things in a, in a way that are not fun. Or not, guys, God is, is not wanting to, to rain on your parade, rain on your party, be a killjoy. He wants to invite you into his. And as we read this, it's God saying, no, because just as I provided meat for food, this blood is a... It's a symbol. It's a marker of atonement that, that, that the lifeblood, innocent blood shed, it makes atonement. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 through 4 says, but if those sacrifices, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So God tells them, hey, you can eat the meat, but, but the blood is something special. And in Hebrews, we're told that at all of the sacrifices that God would institute through the law, and actually all the way back to Cain and Abel, is that the blood it was a symbol of God by blood making atonement for our sins. Speaking of revelation that Pastor Jeff has been taking us through is in Revelation chapter one, verse five says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings on the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. So why not eat an animal with blood still in it? Why not drink blood? Not because it's just a social taboo, not because God's trying to rain on a parade, because the blood of an animals every year was a symbol of God's plan of redemption and atonement and the removal of our sins. That Jesus Christ, who the perfect lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And that wasn't something for us to, to just eat and digest and be away with, but something to understand and revere, a sign, even here, of God knowing the ultimate plan of his redemption for our atonement. We continue on verse five and says, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another man, be, uh, for another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. Essentially God is saying, humans are not animals. Don't act like one. And as we continue looking through as again, verse seven says, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Don't miss verse seven. Verse seven is something pretty special because this is to take you back to the garden. This is God again, who, who told Noah, I'm going to establish a covenant. And right now God is, is telling him, I'm giving you the same command and promise that I gave to Adam. It's a restoration of what God did in the garden when he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply. And now to Noah, he passes that promise and covenant on. In fact, verse eight, where we started reading this morning, says, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, now I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. If you guys remember, this is God instituting his covenant, but it was actually back in Genesis chapter six, verse 18. God said to Noah as he was calling them into the ark, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and 18 says, this is the covenant I, I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. And then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And that's because early in Hebrews, we're told in 1010. By that, speaking of the blood of Christ, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And again, that here, God establishing that this is a one-way covenant that he is making to us that we get to benefit from. This is God saying, in the same way I promised way back then, this is my covenant, God says, I'm making with you. God has given us his promise. Verse 10 says, now with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on earth. Now, last time we, we taught, I kind of jokingly told you guys to remember what the word remember means. So I'm going to bring you back to that. So if you guys remembered what the word remember for God really means, is again, in the same way God was communicating what, what his response to our life of sacrifice and praise is, that smell, that is God communicating to us an attribute or a response or an action of his. And when the word remember is used in context of God, it's not, not a God who forgets. It's not God going, oh, I got busy uh, judging people. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. The, the rainbow came in and I'm not supposed to flee. God's not forgetting that. But in fact, actually, God says that something so much more amazing. That when God says that he's going to remember, God is telling us the God of the universe who made, who made heaven and earth, who formed you in your mother's womb, who is holding all things together, that God says, when I see a rainbow, my attention is going to be on my promise. God is telling Noah and his family, you don't have to fear the rain. But even greater, God has no told them, Noah, you and your family, when you guys see that rainbow, know that my attention, it's on you. I see you. I remember the promise that I made to you. I remember my plan of salvation and know that you can trust me. How great is our God's love for us. As we end this morning, and we're going to end there. Again, to understand, again, God's plan of redemption and, and how he has made uh, himself a, a, a free gift that he offers to us. The heaven is, in fact, that free gift that we can't earn and deserve, but, but that we as sinners, we've all sinned and fall short of God's standard and his standard that is perfection. And we understand this plan of salvation that God has a, a bit more when we understand about who God is. And again, remember, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. God loves you. He does not want to punish you. He says in, in, in John 10, 10, that he's come to give life and give it to the full. But that same word that tells us that God is love and offers us his full life in Exodus chapter 34, 7 says he will not leave the guilty unpunished. 
that yes, God is loving and does not want to punish us, but he is a just God and he will punish sin. You know, it's funny. Some people think of God kind of like as a, as a referee. And I know people are going crazy right now. There's no sports. I mean, we've taken to watching things like chess and I, I, I don't know. I would imagine the fishing entertainment might be booming right now, but we miss the days of refs. Who would have thought about that? And as much as you may not like a ref, if you have ever been a coach on a team or, or sometimes you guys are watching a game and you see someone and, and they, and they foul another player, or they seem to get away with it. Or our thing is always like, come on ref. Or when you're watching a game, it seems like, you know, the, 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 maybe the home ref is letting the home team get away with stuff. We go, that's not a good ref. He's, he's cheating. It's funny how quickly that when we feel that we're being offended in some way, that's when we call for justice. So God is not some ref who's just looking to, to penalize left and right, but he is saying, I'm a good, just God, and I will not leave the guilty go unpunished. I think one of the best ways I, I've seen this communicated about how God solves this problem, uh, his love for us and his justice to punish our sin. Uh, there's, there's a story about a man named Garcia. And Garcia was a rebel in, in a communist country. And, and I know, you know, today's political realm, you know, uh, far be it for me to, to tear down against, uh, you know, a, an ideology that uh, oppresses all people whose thoughts are opposed to theirs and, and counts words as, you know, weapons of danger. But all that aside is that, that for this man and his people, they rebelled against that ideology, but rebelling against that ideology ideology speak to anybody in that situation is that then that government turns on them and wants to end their life and so Garcia and his group of, of people they're on the run from the government and as Garcia is on, on the move trying to keep his people safe he has a, a second in command come to him and Garcia's second in command says hey we've got a problem we're running out of food a lot quicker than we should be say so they had they, again they were nomadic they're having to move from place to place and and food rations were short you could almost imagine that maybe, you know, in the craze of the chaos that a bunch of people ran out and hoarded the food and now they have very little to go on. But for Garcia and his people running low on rations quicker than they're supposed to, Garcia's second command says, someone's stealing the food. Garcia being a good leader does what any good leader would do. He sets down a rule followed by an appropriate punishment. If anybody is caught stealing, Garcia says, they will be publicly whipped as a declaration that what you're doing is leading to the injury of others, possibly death. So some time goes by and Garcia's second in command comes to him and says, hey, uh, I've got some good news. And Garcia says, let me have it. He's like, well, hold on. It's, it's one of those good news, bad news moments. So I've got good news, but I've got bad news. And Garcia says, okay, well, let's start with the good news. What's the good news? He says, well, we caught the thief. Perfect. Do you know the law, Garcia says? String him up in the middle of the camp. And he says, well, hold on. Second command. It was your mother. And so now here's Garcia, a man who, who is, is trying to lead his people with truth and justice. And he set a law, but he loves his mom. And he knows that to publicly whip his mom in front of everyone will, will make him seem as a, as a tyrant. Or, or, or even worse, that he loves his mom and whipping his elderly mom could cause her to die. But if he doesn't do that, then he's no different than any corrupt leader who shows nepotism and, well, I'll set down the law, but if my family is the one who does it, or if I break the rules, then it's okay. Well, Garcia is not that kind of leader. And so he, he, he does what a good just leader would do. He tells the second command, put my mom on the whipping pole. 
And as the people gather around, Garcia's lieutenant begins to pull back on the whip and Garcia throws his hands up and says, just a moment. He takes off his shirt. He walks over to his mom who's tied to that pole, wraps his arms around her with just a giant sun bear hug, gives his mom a, a kiss on the cheek and says, I love you. Looking back, he looks to a second in command and says, now begin the whipping. And as the punishment of the crime was carried out, Garcia took on his back the full brunt of the punishment. And in that moment, his justice was shown and that he, the punishment was carried out and his love for his mother as he bore the punishment on himself. And guys, that's exactly what God says Christ did for us. And we understand the depth of that when we understand who Christ is. John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through him, everything that was made was made. And then verse 14 of that same chapter, the Word became flesh and lived among us. Colossians chapter 1, 15 tells us that actually he is, that Jesus Christ is the visible expression of this invisible God. And what he did for us was to live the perfect life, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, purchase a place in heaven that he offers to us as a free gift by faith. Isaiah chapter three, verse 56 tells us that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and that God laid on him the punishment of us all. Guys, Noah comes off the ark having endured chaos. We're in quarantine right now. We're having to communicate in this very different way. And you guys could be going stir crazy. He was on the ark for over a month, for over a year. And stepping out into the chaos of unknown. His first response was to praise God for his faithfulness. And it was a sweet smelling aroma. And considering that in the days of Noah, very similar to the days of ours, is there is coming a day of God's judgment. And we're told by Peter, in light of all of that, thinking of Noah, God's faithfulness, of his continued promise to know that, that God says, when I look upon that rainbow, my attention is on you and my attention to my promise of atonement. And all that consideration, what manner of person ought we to be? Would we be so much more like a God who loves us to all who need to know of the love of Christ. In days of uncertainty and chaos, we can stand out proudly and praise God for his faithfulness to his promise to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I just pray right now that you would, again, just through this time, through this teaching, God, that you would allow us to have heard your voice, know you better, God, ultimately, so that we can be more like you to a world that more than ever desperately needs to know you. Thank you for your promises. Lord, will we put our full faith in that, knowing that when we are uncertain of all things, this we can always be sure of, that you have made a way for us to live with you eternally, and that, Lord, you are a God who sees us. And when we cry out to you, you are a God who sees us and hears us. And that when we live our life by your will, that it is a pleasing aroma to you. Will we be that to you and to the world around? In your son's name.
Amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSucks797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal. <laughs>